Jasmine and Butte Podcast starts right now. We'll get back into the Jets. We never, we never got a chance to really dive into this. We this, didn't get the slam on enough. great in, in game the, that they played against the Dolphins this afternoon. In the first two minutes of the opening show, but we'll get into it right now. I'm tired of Ryan Fitzpatrick. We could sit here and we could break down this entire game. We could break down everything that happened. But when you look at this Jets team, the end of the day, they're not getting enough production from the quarterback spot. Ryan Fitzpatrick has now shown you that he is not that good of an NFL quarterback. And when you look at what Ryan Fitzpatrick has done this year, it's night and day to what he did last year and at this point, now that you are 3-6 and six, and the best you could do is win 10 games at most, which is not going to happen when you still play the Patriots twice, it's the season's over. The Jets are done and now they're in a spot where, hey, it's time to make a change at the quarterback spot. It's enough is enough. I'm done. I'm sick of it. Fitzpatrick proved to everyone this year that he's no longer the guy that you can count on for the long-term future of this team. It's time to make a change. I'm sorry, a 3-6. and six, Nothing should stop this team from going to Bryce Petty. I agree, and I think we see what uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick is. He's a mediocre quarterback. He had a career year last year with the Jets. He was phenomenal. You're not going to take that away from him. Set the Jets franchise record in touchdowns at 31 of them. He was great, but this year he's been awful. He's been awful, and we say it every week, but he was brutal today. He was brutal. That red zone interception he threw was absolutely dreadful. There was no one in the back of the end zone. I don't know. They say it was a miscommunication between his receiver and quarterback. Well, I'll tell you what. It seems like these miscommunications between a Jets receiver and Ryan Fitzpatrick has become the norm this season here in 2016, and it's unacceptable, and I agree with you. It's enough of Ryan Fitzpatrick. It's enough of watching this offense just not be able to move the ball against a Dolphins team they should have success moving the ball against. It's enough. And And it's time for Bryce Petty. That pick today in the end zone was just mind-boggling. And I know the Jets ended up only holding Miami to a field goal after that or whatever point that was. Oh, actually, well, first off, his first interception to the lineman, just brutal. But then the pick in the end zone, the second one he threw, I should say, was about as bad as an interception as you could possibly throw. I mean, that was one of the worst interceptions I've seen a Jets quarterback ever throw, and we've seen some pretty bad quarterback (laughs) plays. There wasn't a wide receiver within 10, 15 yards of where that ball was thrown. Close to grounding. I mean, seriously, it was an awful pass. And and the problem is, is this has become too much of a occurrence here. And it really, his numbers, and they showed it today during the game, and they've showed it pretty much uh, every week when Fitzpatrick's been in there. His second half numbers this year, his numbers in the second half are just brutal. What does he have, 10 second-half interceptions this year? It's embarrassing. It's unacceptable. And here's the thing with Ryan Fitzpatrick. I know that going in, we were all excited about him. But we knew that there was a chance that he was not going to play as well as he did last year. I agree. But we I agree didn't with you. anticipate this. He has just been so bad. Outside of that one game against the Bills, he has been pretty much bad for most of this year. And you look at this team at 3-6, and six, the pipeline dream of going to the playoffs, even if the Jets won today, let's be honest, folks, it was not going to happen. But if... They were 5-5 five and five at the bye. I would totally understand you're sticking with Fitzpatrick until you're mathematically out of the postseason. Well, guess what? At 3-6, and six, the max games you could win is 10. The Jets won 10 games last year, and that wasn't even good enough to get you into the postseason. So if you're in this spot once again where you're 3-6, and six, you're not going to the playoffs. The Jets got to come to grips with that. Todd Bowles has got to understand this team is done. It's time to start evaluating what you have for your future. Bryce Petty's got to get a chance to play, and if he stinks, then you know what? You don't go back to Fitz. You go right to Christian Hackenberg. It's time to find out if the Jets have maybe a a chance to develop a young quarterback that's on this roster, because we know Geno's not coming back, and we know Ryan Fitzpatrick stinks he's not coming back. It's time to find out what they have in Bryce Petty. I agree with you, and I think the thing with Christian Hackenberg, one year 
uh, removed from college. This is his rookie year, taken in the second round. But everyone said he wasn't quite ready to command an NFL offense yet. So I think Petty, I think, excuse me, Hackenberg, we might be still a little bit a ways away from seeing him. But I agree with you. It is time to see what the Jets have in Bryce Petty because you made a great point, and we've talked about it on the show before. Geno Smith is not under contract next season. Ryan Fitzpatrick, thank the good Lord that they signed into only a one-year, $12 million contract, and they didn't have to invest three or four years in, in him. Otherwise, the Jets would really be in trouble. But Fitz won't be back next year. The Jets don't have a quarterback on the roster that you can definitively say is going to be the starting quarterback next season. The closest thing to a starting quarterback in 2017 that the Jets have on their roster is Bryce Petty. They got to give him a shot to play. You said they're three and six. They're done. They're not making the playoffs. It's time. We saw a little bit of Petty today when Fitz missed the drive because of the uh, the knee injury. It's time to see more of Bryce Petty because I think with Fitz going out there week in and week out, you're just going to see the same mistakes. And let's be honest here. Can Bryce Petty be that much worse than Ryan Fitzpatrick has been this year? Maybe he'll be better. He can't be. And you know what the thing is? You look at Bryce Petty. We don't know what he is. We know what Ryan Fitzpatrick is. And at three and six, you're done. You're not going to the playoffs. You have to get Bryce Petty a chance to play. And for Todd Bowles to just automatically name Ryan Fitzpatrick as quarterback, saying Ryan is his guy, Ryan's well, you know my what? guy after the game, that's just stupid. That's poor coaching. I'm tired of Todd Bowles. But you know what? It's hard for me to say he's going to go with Fitz because remember two weeks ago, he said he was going to go with Fitz again, and then during the week he made a change and decided Geno Smith was going to be the starter. We know Geno got hurt. I think there's still a chance Bryce Petty plays next week. I hope so, because at three and six, what do you got to lose? And if the Jets say, if the, you know what I can see happening too, Fitz could play next week. But you know what? Going into the bye, you got to make a change because you're playing for nothing. Play Petty against the Patriots. Petty should be playing next week. Get it? Let him get his feet wet before he's thrown into the New England Patriots on Sunday Night Football. I just, I can't stand watching this team do the wrong thing constantly. Today with the penalties, they're poorly coached. They poorly execute everything. And you know what? If they're gonna lose, at least find out if you have something to get the quarterback spot. Today was just a joke. All you could do is just laugh. The fact that the Jets actually score, and then Miami returns a 96-yard return by a rookie, and that's how they end up losing. It's just so Jets-like it hurts. It is Jets-like, and even after the return, there were still five minutes and change to go in the game. The Jets got the ball back after the touchdown return, and what do they do? They go three and out, and they never touch the ball again offensively. It's just, it's, it's comical how bad this Jets offense is. They don't move the ball, and today they had plenty of opportunities to score. Going back into the first half, they had opportunities in the red zone to make plays to get the ball to their playmakers. I know Decker's not in there, but get the ball to Brandon Marshall and score some touchdowns. They couldn't do it. The interception by Fitz, they had to settle for field goals. That's how you lose games in the National Football League, by not executing uh, uh, inside the 20s. And that's what the Jets couldn't do today. They did score a touchdown to give them themselves a lead at the late in the game, but then you said they let the return go for all the way 96 yards for a touchdown. Good teams don't let that happen. Brutal. Brutal. The Jets are just not a good team, but you know what? I thought that this was a really good tweet by uh, Joe Capricorso, who's the editor of Turn on the Jets. He tweeted, the Jets have more problems than can fit into 140 characters, but everything works back from having the worst quarterback in the NFL. And you know what? Ryan Fitzpatrick, whether or not you agree with him being the worst quarterback in the NFL, he's played like it this year. He has been brutal. And if you're trying to win games, you're trying to make the playoffs, you need to get at least decent quarterback play. And the Jets have not got it at all this year outside of maybe one game against the Buffalo Bills. It has been that bad. And at this point, I'm screaming for it because if you're going to have a lost season – 
you better have something to play for in regards to your quarterback spot. They have two young quarterbacks on this roster, and both of them need to get the chance to play at some point this year. Ideally, Petty plays great, and you let him get the experience. But if he fails, it's not we go back to Fitzpatrick. It's it's time to find out what you have because this is an older team. They do have some young players. And you got to start building, and it all starts, as we all know, with the quarterback spot. And if you don't go to Petty now, and you decide to stick it out with Fitz for whatever reason, what does that do for you going into 2017? You still have no one that can play quarterback, because you're not bringing Ryan Fitzpatrick back, and you're not bringing Geno Smith back. So where does that leave you? That leaves Bryce Petty being the only player on the Jets roster that has a shot to be quarterback next year, and along with Christian Hackenberg, but obviously Petty's been there a little longer. Petty's going to get that opportunity, and I think he deserves it. And also, Todd Bowles today, just looking at this game, he doesn't play Sheldon Richardson or Muhammad Wilkerson at all in the first quarter. Says it's a coach's decision why he's not playing them. It's a coach's decision. Why don't you elaborate what happened that you didn't play your two best defensive players at all in the first quarter? Hey, Todd, your beard could also go. Is Mr. I'm not going to shave because the Jets have won two in a <laughs> row. You just lost to the Miami Dolphins. You know, the Dolphins aren't good. Both teams didn't deserve to win today. That's how bad this football game was. And what the most frustrating part about Todd Bowles is that he is so stubborn and he immediately says after the game, well, I'm sticking with Ryan Fitzpatrick. You're sticking with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Brilliant. And then, you know what? That's where Mike McKagan or Woody Johnson, I don't care, have to step in and say, you're not sticking with Ryan Fitzpatrick. You're playing Bryce Petty because this season is over. Done. Finished. I'm tired of watching the same garbage. You can't keep sending Fitzpatrick back out there. He's been horrible. Not just bad. He's been horrible. And you talked about it before. His numbers in the second half this year, one touchdown, 12 interceptions. That's but. Borderline, you know, high it's school inex- level. It's inexcusable it's, for a starting quarterback in the National Football League. It's remarkable. I, I, I just can't fathom how poorly he's been. He's been so bad, and I think you bring up a great point about Sheldon Richardson and Muhammad Wilkerson. Going into today, the Jets were three and five. Their winners are two straight. They have a lot of good momentum going into this game in Miami, and I know they've had a tough year and, and it's been difficult, and they were probably not making the playoffs anyways. But they did have some momentum going into this game. You're not playing Wilkerson. You're not playing Richardson in the first quarter. He doesn't say why. Your two best defensive players on the defensive uh, on the D line, and you're not playing them in the first quarter. So he'll bench Muhammad Wilkerson and Sean Richardson, but, but he won't bench Fitzpatrick. But, what, but my thing is, what is the reason? What happened that was so bad where neither of these guys should play in the first half in a game you need to win? Your two best players. Because coming into today, you know, and obviously by sticking with Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know that Todd Bowles' mindset is let's try to make the playoffs here in 2016. Well, if that's the case, why aren't you playing your two best defensive players? in the first quarter of a must-win game. And the Jets today were just so bad offensively. Third down, 3 of 11, 140 uh, total yards. I just, it's just, it's brutal. It's brutal. And, and the three and outs. Or 140 it, passing yards. Not, it's just, they it, can't they move so the football. They can't move the bo- football consistently on any defense. They had trouble last week doing it on the Cleveland Browns. Did you see how bad the Browns played today? They lost 35 to 10. And I know the Cowboys are a better team than the Jets, but the Browns suck. And the Jets barely walked out of Cleveland with a win last week. It's embarrassing. And it's just. I, I can't even with this team anymore, and I I don't want to see Ryan Fitzpatrick. I just I've had enough. It's enough. The minute he threw that end that that interception in the end zone, I you just gotta laugh. Jeff fans, I'm with you. You, you can't you can't just not laugh at this point anymore. It's all you could do. You don't laugh, you're gonna cry. That's how bad the season has been with all the expectations and everything coming in to see this team play this poorly for now half the year and then some. 
is just borderline pathetic. I don't know if they have a coach. I know they don't have a quarterback, but there's two young quarterbacks on this roster, and one of them in Bryce Petty should be the starting quarterback a week from now when the Jets are going against the Los Angeles Rams at home. If they start Fitzpatrick next week, after every three and out, the fans at MetLife are going to be ruthless, and rightfully so. And they should. They pay a lot of money to go to MetLife Stadium to see the Jets play. And you know what? We've seen Ryan Fitzpatrick in 2016 just... Just stink. Just, just stink. I mean, there's not many other words you could put on it. He's just been terrible. Outside of that one game, like you said earlier, Jake, against the Buffalo Bills where he lit it up and threw for almost 400 yards, every week he's been brutal. And it seems like even when he doesn't turn over the football, the Jets still aren't doing anything offensively. He had the two turnovers today, but even last week against Cleveland. I mean, they're not moving the ball consistently enough. They're too stagnant on offense. And the play calling on third down, once again— what are they doing? Always bad. It's always it just, bad. It never gets and, better. And it's just it's mind-boggling to think that this team was going into this season just seven, eight weeks ago picturing themselves as a playoff team. Boy, are they far away from a playoff team at 3-6. and six. But they're going to stick with Ryan Fitzpatrick here and ride it out to what, a 3-13 and 13 season? I mean, the, there needs to be something to do now because you need to have an idea of what you're going to do next year at the quarterback position. At some point, they're going to make a change. We all know but that's when coming. Is it, when but when is it going to be? Exactly. At 3-6. They're, they're, I honestly think next week— It's time to make a change. I think right now is a good time to do it because you're playing uh, a, a Raider team—excuse uh, me, a Ram team next week at home, and then you're going on the bye. Yeah. and you, It makes perfect sense. Yeah, and then you can get Bryce Petty the opportunity to really get caught off the speed and really take a lot of reps over the two weeks between your games. This team— team's not going anywhere. We could scream it. We could talk about it. We could break down why they aren't very good. And it's not all just the quarterback, but he's a big reason as to why this team has struggled, why this team is 3-6. and six. The defense hasn't played well at certain points this year, but today's game is squarely on Fitzpatrick and the stupidity of the Jets on special teams. But at 3-6, and six, you could break it down any way you want. You could break down this game however you want to do it. It doesn't matter because at the end of the day, at 3-6, and six, the season's over. It's time to find out what you have in the quarterback spot. That's what it comes down to. It's time to see Bryce Petty. Fitzpatrick, nice guy, but he has not played well this year, and it's time to move on. It's so time it, to move on. So at this point in the season, 3-6, and six, you, is it exclusively time to look forward to next season? Because I think we're on that page, and I think a lot of Jets fans feel that way. But it seems as if the head coach is still playing for 2016. I know he has his job possibly on the line, but I think at the same time, it's important to to look forward to next season. Going to Bryce Petty will buy him time because then you're not expected to win anymore. Now you're evaluating your future. Well, and that's something he's got to understand. But that. that's something the Jets have to do at some point because, like I said, say they don't go to Bryce Petty, and for whatever reason, you know, they ride out the rest of the season, finish seven and nine or eight and eight or whatever they finish, and you don't bring back Fitzpatrick next season. Geno Smith doesn't come back. What do you do with quarterback? You're just going to hand the keys to Bryce Petty after not seeing him play in an NFL game? Petty's got to play at some point this year. It might as well be now. Bad football teams will not play their young quarterbacks when their season's on the line. We're going to find out. I don't want to just say bad football teams. Poorly run football teams from a front office standpoint, from an ownership standpoint. I don't care about Todd Bowles. This is a decision that he no longer gets to decide who's playing quarterback. He doesn't. At 3-6, and six, the season's over, and whether or not he wants to admit it, that's fine. But it's time to play Bryce Petty. It's enough with Fitzpatrick. And I just, as a Jet fan, I'm sick to my stomach. Today was just ridiculous. I've had enough. 607-274-1842. It's the Asbury and Budick Show on VICRadio.org, TuneIn Radio, and, of course, podcasted on ICTV.org and iTunes. We're going to get into the Giants after the break. The Giants, huge win today over the Philadelphia Eagles, a game that a lot of people thought 
The Giants were going to blow late there, but it was the Eagles that ended up making the costly errors late in this one. So we'll get to the Giants and their win over the Eagles and also take your calls once again. 607-274-1842 is the number to call. It's the Asmund Butik Show, and we're on until midnight. We'll be back right after this. Unflippable, unflappable, unleakable. The Gus Buster is the only umbrella that won't flip inside out, rip, tear, or leak. Capable of withstanding winds over 55 miles per hour. All of our umbrellas are constructed of the finest quality materials and backed by a limited lifetime guarantee. What are you waiting for? Visit GusBuster.com and get your Gus Buster today. You are listening to the Asman and Budic Show on VIC Radio. Tune in radio and podcast it on ICTV.org and iTunes. Back here on VIC Radio, the Asman and Budic Show. Dan Budic alongside Jake Asman. We just talked a little bit about the Jets and their just disgusting loss today <laughs> to the Miami Dolphins at Hard Rock Stadium. Not exactly the Jets' um, best trip to Miami and their first trip to Hard Rock Stadium. Just um, a meltdown. Just an absolute meltdown. Especially, uh, we talked a little bit about just the, the situational stuff they didn't do right, but the disciplinary stuff. This was Rex Ryan garbage, and we see it coming again really this season, especially today against Miami. It was terrible. Today was just horrible. Horrible Jets loss, but the other New York team, if you're a Giant fan and you're listening to the show or watching us on Facebook, you had a pretty good day if you're rooting for the New York Giants. The Giants, how about them? They took down the Eagles today, so now the Giants coming off a bye. A lot of talk coming in. What type of Giants team would we see coming off a bye? Because remember, Ben McAdoo, this is his first time as a head coach, first time coaching a team coming off a bye, so it's always a telling sign how a coach does if their team's ready to play coming off that bye week. But the Giants, they beat the Eagles 28-23. They overcame the uh, late Eli-esque interception that was just brutal, and the defense was able to hold on at the end there. And you look at what this Giants team's now able to do at 5-3. and three, They picked up a much-needed but big-time, very important divisional win over the Eagles. And the Philadelphia Eagles, they have now lost games to the Dallas Cowboys and the Giants in back-to-back weeks. So the Giants did what they had to do to, I think, still maintain pace with Dallas. I still think Dallas is going to win that division. But if you're a Giant fan saying, hey, we already beat the Cowboys once, this was a very important game to be able to stay on track with what Dallas is doing. I think Dallas won again today, so they're 7-1 on the season. And this was a very important win for the Giants just because a late Eli Manning interception and the Giants defense being able to overcome that. And I think that's something... This is a game they lose last year. This is a game they lose and the defense crumbles last season. I think that just speaks volumes on uh, the improved personnel they have on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, last season, they lose this game 10 times out of 10. I mean, how many games did they lose because of turnovers in the second, turnovers late in the second half, and their defense just wasn't good enough to recover? I mean, it happened week in and week out, though. It feels like the last two years for the Giants. So to be able to win a game like this where you do ha- you do make mistakes late in the game offensively and the defense could pick up the offense and overcome that, it's a plus-plus for the Giants. No question about it. And this was a game for, that they had to win. And you got to give credit because what they had to do here, they struggled running the football, but we saw this Giants offense really step up late in this one. Odell Beckham had himself two touchdowns. Even Sterling Shepard found the end zone for the first time since September. And despite the fact that this Giants team really cannot run the ball, I thought despite Eli Manning and that bad interception at the end there, I thought Eli played a really good game today. 22 with 36, 257, four touchdowns. He did throw two interceptions, but Without a running game, you're asking a lot out of Eli Manning and against a pretty good defense that the Eagles had. I thought, all things considered, you could live with the performance that Eli had out there today. Landon Collins developing into some player. He really is very good. 
Very good. He's been he's been he's been getting better. I think after every single week, we saw what he did against the Rams last week or two weeks ago in London. Had that big interception. Had two of them in that game. One of them returned for a pick six today. Twelve tackles. He had another sack. He's turning into a really good player in that Giants defense. And I think even last season being his first year in a bad defense, I think we saw throughout the course of 16 games him improve. He was one of their only bright spots. He was one of their only bright spots last season. He made some big plays. I remember when they played the Patriots, he made some big plays. And then just with a better defense around them, Jerry Reese adding some personnel in that secondary up front um, with Olivier Vernon and Snacks Harrison. You know, a better defensive unit, and you add Landon Collins to that. And the Giants have had success. Giants defense today, bend but no break. How do you know? Philly had 443 yards, and they only had 23 points, despite all that, all those totals and yardage. And Philly, 2 of 6 in the red zone. Some of that costly because of the fact they decided to go for it instead of settling for some field goals. And if you're a Philadelphia Eagles fan, you got to be scratching your head why Doug Peterson didn't kick when the opportunities he had to do so. But you look at what this Giants team has been able to do. Hey, 5-3. and three. You'll take it after the Giants went 6-10 and 10 last year. They're one win away from matching their total from a year ago. And Carson Wednesday threw for 364 yards and no touchdowns. How often do you see a quarterback throw for almost 400 yards and does not have a score? And those two interceptions at the beginning, not good. He played well after that, but once again, though, the Giants needed that big stand late. They got it, and if you watch this team at all the past couple of years, they never, ever come up with a big defensive. So Giants right now sit at 5-3, and three, halfway through their schedule, eight games through. How good are the New York Giants? Are we talking about a playoff team here? Are we talking about a team that could potentially get to an NFC Championship game? Are the Giants that good? See, the thing with the Giants is, if they get in, they're always a threat. I mean, we've seen Eli Manning. And playoff look at Eli the Manning's quarterback a, play we've seen from him. Yes. He's a different animal. Eli Manning in the playoffs is great. You look at the upcoming Giants schedule, just taking a look. Next week, they got Cincinnati. That's a home game. It's a Sunday night game, so we'll be seeing the Giants on our airwaves next week. Then they have the Chicago Bears and Browns, so those are two winnable football games after that. They close out the year with Steelers, Cowboys, Lions, Eagles, and they play the Redskins again on the road. For the Giants, hey, some winnable games coming up. I think you right now you're sitting there at five wins. If you look at the remaining games left, let's see. So they're five and three. They're, they're now eight games into the year. they got eight more games to go. I think we're looking at a team that should be in the playoffs. I think that has to be the goal at this point. This team is good enough to be in the postseason. They're in a tough division, but they have already beaten Dallas once. And it will really come down to probably those final two games between the Eagles and the Redskins to decide the Giants' fate. I just think this is a very interesting Giants team with the struggles they've had the last couple of years and just seeing the improvements they made. It just goes to show you the 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 the, the difference between a six or seven win team and, and an eleven and ten win team. Because if you looked at the Giants last year, what'd they go? Seven and nine? Six, six and, and ten. ten? Six and ten, seven and nine. I mean, there were some glaring holes in their defense that they got fixed this season, and they're a million times better. So I just think it goes to show you, when you spend some money, and you put money into your defense, and you put money into a little bit on that defensive front, you know, you're going to see the difference, and I think that's what we're seeing this year with the Giants, because I agree with you. I think this is a Giants team that should, without a doubt, be a playoff team. No doubt about it, and at five wins now, you know, you're halfway through a year, five and three, the expectation has to be, hey, we're good enough to be a playoff team. But they got they got some tough games on their schedule left. They still got to play Dallas. Those divisional opponent games are never easy. But they have a game in there against Cleveland, as I just said, and a game in there against Chicago. So those should be two wins right there. That should be you should have at least seven wins. And then if you do well with the rest of your schedule, maybe win a game you're not supposed to win. You should be right around nine, ten wins. Ten wins, well, I think will definitely get you into the NFC. I think even maybe at nine and seven, the Giants can sneak in. But the mark should be get the ten wins. You got eight games left. 
Giants got to win at least five of them. And who knows what the difference is going to be between them and the Cowboys in a couple of weeks. If the Cowboys are going to keep rolling, they're 7-1. and one. Is this a Cowboys team that's going to win 13 games? I mean, who knows? So I think the division is not even out of question for the Giants. It's a really good Giants team, and this was a big win today. I know the Eagles you know, come in a little limping. I think they did a good job taking care of Philadelphia this afternoon. The Eagles kind of are what they are. You know, I think a lot of people hyped them way over the top when they were 3-0. and I still think this team is, is better than a lot of people gave them credit for at the beginning of the year. I think Jim Schwartz is a phenomenal defensive coordinator and has done a great job with his Eagles defense, but they're, they're starting a rookie quarterback. And Wentz has had his moments, no doubt about it. He was great early on this year. But to expect this guy to take you to the playoffs in year one is not reasonable, especially when most people thought this Eagles team maybe would win four games. So so I think overall, if you're an Eagles fan, Carson Wentz, you just want to see him play, get the experience that he's getting. And as a Jeff fan, I'm jealous because he's getting that experience while Bryce Petty is sitting on the bench right now. But for the Eagles, they're still in the hunt. They're still right there in the NFC East because the Eagles have been better than people thought. And Washington's good. And Dallas is doing what they're doing without Romo. And the Giants are right there in a really tough division. So give them credit for finding a way to win today. And just talking about young quarterbacks and Wentz getting the opportunity to play. The Jets playing the Rams next week. When is Jared Goff going to start to play? And Haven't we seen enough of Case Keenum at this point? The fans were screaming for Jared Goff today in L.A., and it really is remarkable that Jared Goff has not played yet. The Rams today, they lost by three points to the Carolina Panthers. 13-10 to was the final score in that one. The Rams have such a good defense, and it's just wasted by the fact that they have Case Keenum, who today was 27-46 for one touchdown, one interception. Just wasted in, the, in a team that the Rams are 3-5, and five, and they're starting Case Keenum. What is Case Keenum going to do that Jared Goff can't do sitting on the bench? You mean to tell me that Jared Goff is so bad he doesn't deserve to play at least a little bit, get a look over Case Keenum? Good point by you. I don't know what the Rams are doing. Maybe we'll see Jared Goff next week against the Jets. Well, you know what? It's so interesting. I'm really looking forward to watching this game. Obviously, not only because the Jets are playing, which we watch the Jets every week, but just because I want to see Case Keenum. I mean, I want to see what Jeff Fisher's seeing as opposed to keeping this guy in at quarterback instead of going to his first overall pick, Jared Goff, who, who's so hyped. When are we going to see Goff? I think uh, I just am very intrigued to see what Case Keenum is doing to, for, Je- for Jeff Fisher to keep him in the game. It really is unbelievable. I mean, it's amazing it, it they is. haven't gone to him yet. I mean, I mean, people were saying Wentz wasn't going to play this year at all, and Wentz has done a very admirable job, really good job, starting a quarterback for the Eagles. So why haven't we seen Jared Goff? I don't know. It really it, it makes it, it zero sense. Good, it, it, I don't understand. And you look at what Carson Wentz has been able to do. I know he didn't play great today, but he still put up pretty good numbers, and he's been really good overall this year, you would say. I mean, he's made some rookie mistakes, but a, but a rookie quarterback's going to make mistakes. He's getting the chance to play. This guy was the number two overall pick. Jared Goffers, pick number one, hasn't played a snap in his NFL career yet. And I think even though... Obviously, you're talking about an Eagles team that maybe isn't built to win this year. But any sort of experience that Wentz is getting, I think it's great for him, which is why I don't understand in what looks like to be a season where the Rams are not going anywhere, why not play Goff? What is keeping Jeff Fisher from going to Jared Goff and keeping you know, uh, Case Keenum in the game, I, I, in these games? I don't understand it. Maybe we'll get some clarification next week. And Jeff Fisher at 3-5, and five, he's two games off the pace he's supposed to be on. He's the Mr. 8-8. Eight eight. Jeff Fisher, August 8th every year. Happy Jeff Fisher Day. Mr. Aitney himself is now two games under 500. And remember, the L.A. Rams, weren't they 3-1? and one? So they now were. they've lost four straight games. At what point do you say, hey, we're not winning. We might as well let the guy we traded up for, gave up all those picks, the number one overall pick, you drafted the guy, give Jared Goff the opportunity to play. I think it's time for Goff. And, you know, we talked about the Jets. I think it's time for Petty. 
Time to see all these young At least the Eagles got it right. They're playing the wins. The quarterback playing the NFL stinks. We need to see some new guys. I'm tired of watching the same garbage every week. Talked about the ratings last week on the show. You want to know why the NFL ratings are down? Watch today's Jet game with all the flags and all the nonsense going on in that football game today. That's why these ratings are done. Or they're bad. They're down. Down 20%. Because the product on the field has been horrendous. And you need further proof. Just watch a replay of today's Jets game if... You want to suffer and, and well, I think, lose brain cells. I think it's Ugh. very interesting where we are in the NFL right now in 2016 because we don't have as many teams as we had maybe five or six years ago, even seven years ago, with elite starting quarterbacks. And I think you make a great point. The quarterback plays bad. And that's the sexiest position on the field. That's going to get the viewers. When you have two elite quarterbacks going up against each other in a big game, that's going to get viewership. When you have two good teams going against each other with mediocre quarterbacks, not going to get as many viewers. No, and you look at the primetime games. The schedule, we talked a lot about this last week, but you look around the NFL today, that's some of these 4 o'clock games, and I just have no interest in watching because of how poor the play is around the league. And it has a lot to do with the quarterbacks, but there's flags being thrown on every play. These matchups aren't that good. And I think the sport is so oversaturated. Oh, it's enough for the Thursday night games. I mean, these Thursday night games are a nightmare. Nobody cares. And, I mean, the NFL had to go up with a whole stink and put up a whole fuss over the fact that Mike Tirico was going to call Thursday Night Football for NBC. You should be happy that Mike Tirico even wanted to call Thursday Night Football on NBC. That's how bad these games are. I mean, he was doing the Monday Night Games, and I'm not saying every Monday Night Game's great, but it seems like every Thursday Night matchup stinks. They're unwatchable games that no one wants to waste their time watching. Not to mention, you usually have two brutal teams wearing two of the ugliest uniform combinations ever. I mean, who wants to watch (laughs) any of these games? Horrible. Horrible. And I think at the end of the day, if you're the NFL, you have to sit back and you got to look at, is Thursday Night Football really worth it? Because I think that's a major problem here. Well, money-wise, I'm sure it is. But at the same time, is it worth jeopardizing the oversaturation of your sport? Is it worth it? Well, that's a good point. I don't think it is. And I know that these owners, they're smart people. They're going to sit down. They're going to evaluate why our ratings are down. But you watch some of these games out there week in and week out. And it's just not good football being played. And when you have a game on Thursday, then later in the year you start to have games on Saturday and Sunday and Monday. It's enough already. We don't. I love the NFL. I love the. I love the league. I love the National Football League. But it's enough already with all these games. It's too much. It's just way too much. You are listening to Jake Asman and Dan Budick right here on the Asman and Budick Show. Follow the show on Twitter with the handle at Asman Budick Show. Asman and Budick Show, Jake and Dan with you until midnight right here on BIC Radio. We opened the show. We had some technical errors. One of the microphones in our studio. Busted. It seems like it's completely busted. It's like the Jets season. Just busted. Terrible. It's over. But we talked a lot about the two New York football teams. We're going to go around the NFL with Connor Weingarten in just a little bit and talk about all the other games we've missed. But let's get into the World Series because last, what was it, Tuesday or Wednesday night, we saw probably one of the best games in any sport you will ever see. And it ended in dramatic fashion. It went to extra innings, as everyone knows. And it was the Cubs taking down the Indians. And Chicago, they waited a long, long time to celebrate a World Series. And the Chicago Cubs finally ended the curse. And they were able to be a part of something that we'll remember for a long time. 
They were able to bring back that World Series title to the city of Chicago. And Cubs fans, you've earned it. It was a crazy season, but the, I think the best team won. The Cubs are the best team in the regular season, and I think they showed you why in the postseason. They were ready for the moment, and when adversity struck late in that game, and you thought, oh boy, here come the Cubs about to blow it again, it was really a reverse of every bad thing that's ever happened in their franchise's history. They found a way to get it done, and what a moment it was in Chicago watching 5 million people, they estimated, enjoy it all during that celebratory parade in Chicago on Friday. And I think there's no better story in baseball than the Cubs fans and the Chicago Cubs winning the World Series, but I think the most amazing thing in this series was, one, the Cubs were down 3-1 in this series with two of the last three games on the road in Cleveland, where Cleveland has just been dominant this postseason, and they went in there, won the last game at Wrigley to finish their home season with a huge win, and what an emotional night that was at Wrigley Field for the Cubs to get a World Series win at home, and then to win the final two games in the fashion they did it um, at Progressive Field, the Jake as they used to call it, and that game seven. I mean, from leading 5-1 to then the tying the game at 6 in the 8th inning off of this Chapman, the Cleveland Indians, Rajay Davis, the two-run homer to tie it. Um, what a swing of emotions. What a Game 7. The rain delay. I mean, I don't think, and I think I could speak for both of us, in our 21 years of being on this earth, I've seen a better baseball game than that, and it was in a Game 7 of the World Series, and what a matchup it was. It had all the drama. It had all the ups and all the downs that you want in an elimination game. It really did. It's really crazy how just how nuts that game was. You know, as a sport fan, you're looking for dramatic moments. You're looking for one of those type of scenarios where you just locked into your television screen. And what baseball is able to do, I think better than any other sport, is set up those dramatic moments. It was intense. I mean, we had no rooting interest in the game. We're not Cubs fans. We're not Indians fans. We're just as a sports fan living on the edge of your seat. And when Rajay Davis hits that home run off Chapman, we're going nuts in our apartment watching that game. You know everyone around the nation is, is going crazy thinking, oh my goodness, are the Cubs going to actually blow this? And it looked like for a while, you know what, the Indians, they were going to find a way to win this game. And Joe Madden would have been the GOAT and not the greatest all time. He would have been the reason why this team lost. His managerial decisions, even going back to the night before, in which he took out uh, his starting pitcher in, in Hendricks. And, of course, in that game six when he pitched Chapman up 7-1 to one and he ended up throwing 20-plus pitches, Joe Madden would have been killed for everything he did, including trying to bunt Javier Baez with the game on the line earlier in that game seven. But the biggest thing with this with this um, with this matchup was, you know, you never wanted either. You never wanted the game to end. I really enjoyed watching every minute of it, and it was so epic to see the Cubs end the curse and find a way to bring back that World Series title to their fans. And you talked about Joe Madden, and he has gotten so much credit in his managerial career, uh, starting with the Rays, and then obviously through his first couple of seasons. Uh, in Chicago for his quirky managerial skills and it all works out and he, he's got such a, a a unique baseball mind and I think that's the best term to put it, is that Joe Madden really has a unique baseball mind. He almost cost the Cubs the World Series. He really did. He almost cost them the World Series single-handedly. And I'm a big Joe Madden guy. I'm a big fan of his managerial skills and, and, and in some of the decisions he makes. But I'll tell you what. Taking Hendricks out and putting John Lester in after four and two-thirds I disagreed with. It didn't cost him. Um, in the eighth inning going to Chapman, you can make the argument he should have went to Chapman. It's your closer. You need final four outs. It didn't work out. Chapman blew the game. And how about 
the, the, the safety squeeze with the World Series winning run at third base in a 6-6 game with, with your arguably your best player, offensive player in the postseason in Javi Baez with two strikes on a 3-2 pitch and he bunts it foul and strikes out with one out when all you needed was a fly ball or with the infield playing in Javier Baez to hit the ball hard on the ground and you you have the World Series won. That's the World Series winning run at and, third and base. what a difference Come on. winning the game makes because now Joe Madden is not oh, the we Go, Forget about it. But now he's the greatest no, wait, of all time. You're and absolutely Epstein, right. You can say whatever you want about uh, what he's done in his tenure there, but in five years he went from taking over this team where they were the worst team in baseball to building a winner, and not just a winner this year. The Cubs are young. They're good. They have all this experience now. This is a team that's not going anywhere. Their window is still wide open, and I think if you look at this Cubs team, no matter what happens, the fact that they end the curse forever, they're going to be known as a success story, and they're going to go down in history. But there's a good chance that they win multiple titles with this core. That's how good the Cubs are. Oh, absolutely. And they're young. And you said they have a lot of those young core pieces. Bryant, Rizzo, uh, Schwarber. And we saw what Kyle Schwarber did in only playing in a limited role in the, as a designated hitter in the World Series. That guy could flat out hit. It's amazing. It's ama- Oh, it's amazing. That is such an amazing oh, it's, story. It's unbelievable. And he was He's a playing huge... in the same league as Tim Tebow one day. Then he's starting in game one in the World Series the next day. It's just something amazing that he was even able to play in. I mean, Dan, not only did this guy play, as you're talking about, this guy was a major factor in why the Chicago Cubs ended up winning this World Series. Absolutely, and you can really make the argument. I know uh, it's tough to put MVP in a category for a guy who only played um, who didn't play in three games of the series, but he was that good offensively in the games he played in Cleveland. Um, and I think there was no real clear-cut MVP in this series. I agree. It could have went to Zobris. He's such a clutch player, comes up with big hits. But i got to be honest with you. If they gave it to Kyle Schwarber, I wouldn't have been that surprised. That's how good he was offensively for them. And he provided that spark plug that they so desperately needed. And I'll tell you what. It doesn't often happen you see a National League team benefit uh, from the DH. The Cubs are built like an American. The Cubs league are team. really, they really built, are. The Cubs are built like an American League team. Usually, you see these National League teams go to an American League park in the World Series, and they struggle because they don't have that DH component built into their lineup. In other words, you know the Cubs aren't built to play an American League style ball. But when you have a guy like Schwarber, who you could bring in just for the World Series, who hasn't played, he's an exclusive DH that lengthens your lineup tremendously. And Kyle Schwarber produced, and he was that good in those games at, at, in Cleveland. They needed him, and even in the last inning. You know, he was he got on base to give them the lead. Uh, to to get on, he got on base uh, and ended up being the winning run. He he's a spark plug. He gets on base. He did the kind of little things you need to do to win big games. And you got to give all the credit in the world to Kyle Schwarber. And you got to give all the credit in the world to the Chicago Cubs for saying, you know what, we can use him for even trying it. For even trying it, yeah, because I know right. we, I, you know, at least I was on the record before the series saying I don't know if this is going to be a right move. This guy hasn't played since. What, the second game of the season when he tore his ACL? And now you're going to plug him in into the World Series to be just an offensive weapon? He produced. you got to give the Cubs a lot of credit. No, you're absolutely right. And I think the biggest thing when you look at this Cubs team, they just have so many guys that could beat you. And honestly, Zobris wins the MVP. He's so underrated, and I think now we've seen this twice with Ben Zobris. He's amazing. I mean, this guy goes to Kansas City last year at the deadline, helps them win a ring. 
big hits in that in those five games. Then you look at what Ben Zobrist does this year with the Cubs coming over. They trade Starling Castro to clear up a space from the go play second base. I mean, what Ben Zobrist has been able to do, and I know they use him in the outfield. He can play every single position. He is so good. I don't think we appreciate how good Ben Zobris is, but that guy can flat out play, and what a winner. That guy is just He's clutch. a winner. And, and Anytime that's... you need a big hit, he's going to get it. And I said to someone, we were all watching the game, I saw Zobris is 0 for 4 going into that at-bat in the 10th inning. And I said, he's due. He's always good in the big moments, and what does he do? He rips a double, and that ends up being the game-winning hit. Zobris is unbelievable, and I wanted the Mets to push so hard. They almost signed him. He decided to play for his old manager, uh, uh, Joe Madden, who he played under in Tampa. Tampa Bay, and you really can't blame him for that. But you look at Ben Zobras, 272, 18 homers, 76 RBIs, very high on base percentage, 386. But you're not looking at those numbers, a 272 batting average, and you're saying, well, this guy's a great player. But he's got that innate ability. He's clutch. He gets big hits. He did it for the Royals last year. He should have been the MVP of the World Series last year. I thought he was the best player in that World Series for either team offensively last year, whether it be the Royals or the Mets. And this year, he got the MVP for the Chicago Cubs. He's an impact player. He's a clutch player. And you're right, Jake. Anytime you need a big hit, I wouldn't mind having Ben Zobers at the plate. It really is remarkable. And it just felt like every time there was a situation where the Cubs needed a big hit, it was usually Zobrist or uh, or Chris Bryant had a couple big hits, but Ben Zobers is just in the midst of all this. And I know Chris Bryant is probably going to win the MVP this year, but that team, the heart and soul of the Chicago Cubs is Ben Zobers because what that guy does and his veteran presence in that lineup really is remarkable. And I think another guy that we got to talk about all the Cubs, they talked about Jason Hayward and this remarkable the speech, rain delay the speech. Rain delay speech they baby. paid him $184 million to give the best speech of all time during a rain delay. Hey, it worked. And, can I, and now, you know what, Jason Hayward? You earned the money for that one. But you, want, you want to know what's very interesting is everyone talked about Jason Hayward and how great of a speech he gave. Honestly... Kudos to Jason Hayward for even having a, a, the command of that clubhouse to be able to, to to give a speech in the 10th inning of the World Series or whatever it was when the rain delay was. Go, you know, with, with your season on the line, the World Series on the line. This is a guy who had a terrible season. He stunk. He's getting paid a lot of money. I, you know, he must have a lot of carry in that locker room if, you know, with the money he's getting paid and how bad of a season he had, he's the guy giving a speech in the locker room. I think that speaks volumes on just the type of guy and teammate that Jason Hayward is. I mean, this guy had a terrible season. And I think what's, what it also speaks to is the fact that there's no egos on the Cubs. If Chris Bryant wanted to be the guy with the ego, he could. But you know what? Him and Anthony Rizzo, I can't say enough about him. It really is pretty awesome. That you're right. I, I didn't think of it like that. But Jason Hayward, the fact that he had a terrible year, he's making all this money, and it's not Chris Bryan, it's not Anthony Rizzo. Those aren't the guys giving the speech. It's Jason Hayward, and he has that command of a locker room that is featuring some of the brightest young stars in the sport that are now World Series champions. We have another phone call on the line. Cam out in Philly wants to talk about the World Series. What's up, Cam? Hey guys, uh, long time listener, first time caller. Cam, welcome uh, aboard to the show. We thank you for yeah, calling. Thank you What's so up? Much for having me. Uh, I want to. I have two questions. First, how good was this game for the sport of baseball as a whole? Because I think, uh, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, I think it was the most watched baseball game in maybe 25 years, had over 40 million viewers. I think it beat out the Game 7 of the NBA Finals. And my second question is, where does this World Series rank in the history of great World great World Series over the years? Because, of course, it was a classic. Two championship droughts, big hits, clutch moments, questionable coaching decisions. It had it all. So what do you guys think? Well, I think as far as well, – sorry, what was your first question, Cam? 
how important do you think this game was for the sport of baseball? Oh, I think because... it was. I think it was very important for the sport of baseball, and I think yeah. you 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 hit the nail on the head when you talked about it. You had two teams that haven't won. You have two of the longest championship droughts, the two longest championship droughts, nineteen oh eight and nineteen forty forty eight. I mean, these are you're talking about two monster championship drafts. One of these teams was going to win the World Series, and the way that Game 7 went, and the ups and the downs, and really, you want to talk about just from the seventh inning on, one of the best baseball games I've seen played, and I think it's very good for the game of baseball, and I think it's good for the game of baseball that the Cubs won the World Series, because I think one of the most recognizable things in all the sports is that the Cubs haven't won a World Series in over 100 years, and they finally did. Well, I'll tell you what, too. I think when you look at this game from the standpoint that it was the most watched baseball game in the last 25 years, it's great. But in order for that to happen, we had to get to a Game 7. You know, when Boston broke their curse, they swept the uh, they, they swept the St. Louis Cardinals in four games. We didn't really get the dramatic you know, win or lose type moment, a do or die game seven that baseball gives you with the dramatics and everything that occurred in that game on Wednesday. You look at what it does for baseball, it's great. And I think everyone knows how great and how special a sporting event that was. And as far as your second question, where do I think it ranks among the all-time great events in game seven? I think that you could make a case that that's one of the best game sevens you will ever see in any sport. I said that at the top, and I really believe it because you had the narrative of Chicago never winning a World Series. And then the Indians, they haven't won since 1948. So it's not like the Indians come in as the Yankees and they've always won championships in their history. This was as good of a matchup as baseball could have ever hoped for. And when you really break it down and you look at how the games went and how that in particular that game seven went when you had a five to one uh, you had a five to one lead by Chicago blown in epic fashion and then the reverse to find a way after that quick rain delay to then spin it and they're the ones that end up winning the game after all it had everything you could hope for if you're Rob Manfred and really really good for baseball I think if you're a baseball fan you got to be happy that the sport of baseball is being watched by 24, how many people, 60 million people watched, whatever it was, the most watched baseball game in the last 25 years, as you said, Cam. It really is unbelievable. Yeah, and I think this World Series ranks up there, and I think usually the way you rank World Series, uh, the last two games. And I think, when you, especially when you talk about a series that goes seven, the last two games. And the last two games of this series were very exciting. The Cubs obviously just being able to force that game seven, and then obviously the game seven win. Well, and they, they came back down 3-1, Well, and they came, they came back down 3-1. This, this ranks up there as one of the better World Series of all time. Well, you the had the great narrative, and then for it to actually go seven games oh, and absolutely. be as epic of a game seven as you could have, off the top it would be ranked very high. Off the top of my head... 01 Yankees Arizona great series great finish 86 Mets Red Sox great series great final two games 2011 great series great comeback by the Cardinals great game seven so I, I think it, it ranks up there uh, but the fact that these two teams had the championship droughts they did and just the dramatic effect Rajah Davis tying the game in the eighth inning when it looked like they were down five when it, to look, one with Chapman coming into the game it seemed like the game was over and the, the Indians had every reason to fold they battled Rajay Davis a huge home run and people forget Rajay Davis had an RBI hit in the tenth inning to bring them within one I mean that guy had a great a great game seven Rajah Davis and so, how about this weird stat for the Cubs in a game seven they used three different catchers in that game seven all the them had hits. I mean, we saw Andrew Miller give up a home run to David Ross. We saw everything imaginable in that game. I mean, and that's unbelievable that the Cubs had one game where they got RBIs from three separate catchers. I mean, if I had to look off the top of my head watching the Mets every day, I don't even think they had three catchers that had RBIs this year. 
I, I mean, it, that's how crazy that is. <laughs> it was a wild To game. have three catchers with RBI hits in a Game 7, that's unbelievable. Thanks for listening to the Asman and Budick Show. To keep up with the guys, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter with the handle at Asman Budick Show.